Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's Monique. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 109 of the Brown Vegan Podcast. And with this show, I love to present veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people embrace this lifestyle in a way that feels good to them. You don't necessarily have to be vegan to be a listener of this show. In fact, if you're not interested in being vegan, but you want to eat more fruits and vegetables and you just want to have an overall healthier lifestyle and mentally, physically, emotionally, this is the podcast for you. I also love to sprinkle and some vegan entrepreneurship because this is so much more than food. This is truly a lifestyle. So I love to bring in those topics as well. You can find out more about what I do and how I do it at brownvegan.com. And also be sure to follow me on Instagram. Let me know what you think of the podcast. So in today's episode, I am chatting with Intel, who is an author, a speaker, an activist, a graphic designer. He does a little bit of it all. OK, I love this conversation with Intel. We talk about his journey into veganism and how he actually started his journey in prison and what that looked like for him and how he was able to navigate that. You know, so many people don't even think that they can be vegan who have access to a lot of fruits and vegetables. And so just imagine just being in a prison system, trying to figure out how to make this work. Intel talks a lot about how he was able to use veganism as a way for discipline and growth and also community. We also chat about his activism and him building a clothing line. Y'all know I love to talk about the business stuff. And just his redemption story overall, which I think is so inspiring. And I know that this conversation will help so many other people. Be sure to follow Intel on Instagram. His handle is The Hip Hop Vegan. Also, check out his clothing line. And if you need some graphic design work, definitely check that out as well. I'll link everything on the blog post at brownvegan.com. So, yeah, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into Intel's vegan story. I made the choice to become vegan back in 1995. In hindsight, when I really look back and evaluate my life during that period, and really looking in depth and interrogating it, there was a lot of things that helped cultivate me becoming vegan. But primarily, it was definitely a health choice. And that was a result of me having, you know, knowledge of people in my family who was having health issues, knowing about, you know, these different health issues that particularly affect Black folks disproportionately, you know, the common things, heart disease, the number one killer, hypertension or high blood pressure. So I had read a book in 1994 called How to Eat to Live by Elijah Muhammad. And that was the first thing that kind of gave me a little more insight on food and its effects on the body. And then in 1995, I read African Holistic Health by Leala Africa. And that was like the deal sealer. You know, it was actually shook me up because there's so many different things. And then he was saying pretty much you eat. I felt like I couldn't eat anything. You know? mm-hmm. um, <laughs> 
So yeah, so those, those are the, were the things that kind of shook me up. And I had already stopped eating pork in 1994 when I joined the Nation of Gods and Earths, more commonly referred to as the Five Percenters. So that was actually my first introduction into any type of dietary restrictions and did a little fasting as well. So after I read the African Holistic Health, I made the decision that eventually I was going to go vegan. But at that point, I was going to start it gradually. So I cut back everything down to fish and became what I later learned was a pescatarian. Mm-hmm. At that point, all of the terminology and stuff, all I, all I really knew was like vegan and vegetarian. So that, that was my choice. That was like in the, somewhere around, probably around September, October, somewhere like that in 1995. So it was definitely a health thing. The reason I say when I look at my life in totality and really interrogate what was going on, I know I was at a point, you know, I, was, I was obviously, I was in prison, a lot of people know. And I was already in a, at a point where I was trying to better myself and get more discipline and grow. So I saw veganism as a way and dietary restrictions as a way of kind of facilitating that as well. To help um, so with your that, discipline, yeah. Yeah, help, help me get discipline and, and grow and just really starting to activate off of things that I know. Because, I mean, you know, I was caught up in the streets, but I knew better. You know, nobody, parents raises them like that. We know better, so we get caught up in these things. So I had knowledge, but I wasn't activating off it. So when I was reading these books, I kind of felt like if I don't activate off this information that I'm accepting as knowledge, it, you know, it's, it's a bit hypocritical. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing. So there was a lot of things going on in my head, but it, it was definitely, you know, a diet related thing and, and a health related thing. Right. So I know that you went to prison. I think you said you were about 17 years old when you went to prison, right? Yeah, I was. You were like very young. And how long were you sentenced for at that time? So I was sentenced and I was incarcerated in 1994 and sentenced in 1995 to 19 years to life, wow. which meant after 19 years, I could get evaluated by the parole board and they could let me go or either they could, you know, give me more time up to a maximum of two years to reevaluate me. Mm-hmm. And technically, you know, being there for life, that's, that's a rare instance. So by the time I had actually made it to the parole board in 2012, I had, you know, accomplished so much and done so many things in prison and I was eligible for sort of like a, a good time that they had put in effect for lifers, which was just a limited credit, which would take six months off of your sentence. So I was given that and I actually made my first parole board, which was put me to 18 and a half years wow. actually served in prison. I'm just thinking about like, you know, being 17 years old and you just young and just really trying to figure things out. And then at that moment, you feel like your whole life, did you feel like your whole life was ending or how did you feel? I mean, I know yeah. it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, mind you, nothing happens in a nutshell, right? So I had kind of slipped off into the street since I was like 13. And, you know, it was kind of this yearning for what I call social acceptance, wanting to be down, you know, not wanting to be the nerd or the person that was outside of the, you know, the in crowd. And so, you know, you start doing small things and, and it leads to bigger things. And before you know it, you know, your life, spiral out of control so but but at 17 you know I, I, I was 17 but I, I was engaged in so much stuff I had no business in I, I was my mind was a little older but I mean ending up with a sentence of 19 years of life I don't care if you, you're 40 you know that, that's a serious thing to bear yeah I was actually 19 when I got that sentence because when I was arrested I was about a month and a half away from my 18th birthday mm-hmm. and so we're talking about another 14 months before I was actually sentenced. So, yeah, you know, it was a lot going through my mind. And I had been at a point where I didn't even think I was going to live to see 18, the way I was, you know, living my life in the streets. And so many of my friends 
had been dying as teenagers and getting, you know, mostly through violence. So that was just always this thing of lurking over me that, you know, I might not make it. And that was kind of something that was embedded in my mentality that I need to live. So that's another thing that kind of adds on to the health and the, and, and the vegan thing is, is one thing when you're in the streets and you're doing negative stuff to defend yourself and negative stuff to put yourself in a position where you're not seen as a victim by people who engage in certain lifestyles. And so that you could ultimately, you know, get through this and live. Mm-hmm. So that kind of same thoughts were going through my mind when I was incarcerated. I was like, how am I going to get through 19 years of life? Right. You know, there's the violence and stuff I got to know. I can't have nobody in here violating me and, and, you know, just doing anything to me. But then there's the internal control that I can do through diet and through discipline so I can learn to actually avoid certain situations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, if that answers it. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> answers it. No, I love it. I love it. I, I like that. Please continue that on that same okay. path because I really do want you to talk about your story. But I want to know, like, what did the day-to-day life look like in those early days, if you can remember? I know it's been mm-hmm. a while, but I'm sure that's something that's probably always stays with you. But what did that look like? Because I'm thinking about the fact that a lot of people who do have their freedom can't imagine being vegan. And I feel like being vegan in prison has just come with a whole slew of issues as far as being able to making sure that you get enough food and that they even provide enough for you. So like, how did that, in the early days, like, you know, you say you became vegan in, what was it, 95? So what did that look like in the early days? Because this is before veganism, I feel like it was really trendy, of course, right? Yeah. Okay, so so I'll kind of go through step by step because I went from 95 was pescatarian then 97 vegetarian, then 2000 vegan. It was growth, but yeah, so 95, what's that look like? So I'm at a prison called Comstock. We actually call it Great Meadows, but it's in Comstock, New York. So everybody refers to it as that. So at that point, general diet and and prison systems is obviously the basics, uh, you know, a lunch, a prison lunch and a dinner. So your breakfast will be served very early. You know, you'd be out of your cell and then what they call a mess hall, which is a cafeteria between like 6.30 and maybe 7.30, you know, so this prison has got a couple of thousand people. So everybody's got to eat in that span. So you go in there and a typical breakfast would usually be some type of cereal. It's either a hot cereal, like oatmeal, grits. Grits was a rarity, but oatmeal primarily, farina, sometimes like a wheat or like a wheat oatmeal. That's, or you'd have a cold cereal, which was like cornflakes, bran flakes, but, you know, it's all this nondescript stuff. So it's, it's like trash. It's like, you know, you know, name brand stuff. And then sometimes they would give you like two slices of toast. And more times than not, it wasn't even really toast. They would call it toast. It would be toasted so lightly. It's really like white bread. Mm. And then sometimes if you're lucky, that would come with a jelly or it would come with a little bit of butter. And then they always ramming milk down you. You know, so you always got milk. Every every yeah. breakfast is milk. You know why. You yeah, know why. You know. <laughs> the, subsidizing yeah. that. They're getting all that funding for the yeah, dairy industry. Crazy. Heck yeah. So yeah, so they're ramming the milk down you. And then sometimes they would give you a juice, like an apple juice, a cup of apple juice, or orange juice, or grapefruit juice. So generally a breakfast wasn't too hard for me at that point. You know, it wasn't a lot of meat being served. Once in a while, they do serve like a bacon, sausages. I'm not eating pork, so the bacon is out anyway, but they will be serving uh, like turkey links. But for breakfast, that's pretty much the only meat you're going to get. So that wasn't, you know, an issue for me, really. Then in the afternoon, you, you may have some type of rice 
may have like a chili to go with it. They're, at the afternoon, they're giving you four slices of bread. Every, every meal is bread. You know, they, they ram the carbs down your throat. Every dinner and every lunch is always bread as a side. Then you may have some string beans or something, water and some fake type of Kool-Aid. So a lot of times, you know, I could work my way around and just not eat the meat. And then in the evening, it's kind of the same type of deal. But in addition to that, you know, you got the option of, of your own personal stuff you can get through commissary. So commissary is like the, the prison store where you got to pay once every two weeks you go there, you can spend up to $50. And it's a ton of junk food, but they do have canned beans. They usually have about three or four types of canned beans. And they have some seasoning, some garlic powder, stuff like that. And this particular prison was the only one I've ever been in where they actually had produce in the commissary. Oh, wow. They had bananas, but they had tomatoes. You know, bananas and tomatoes. But no it was expensive, wasn't it? Well, did that so, no. expensive? So, and everything? Uh-huh. Yeah, so the, actually, I think there's some type of law that restricts them in prison from really marking up the food. So, and when they sell it to you in commissary. So yeah, so you're getting a can of beans for like 50 cent, 40 cent. Okay. And then in turn, you're allowed to have in your cell a hot pot, which is essentially a, like a coffee pot, kind of like a, almost, almost like a crock pot, but like a small coffee pot which ironically is not designed to even cook. So you have to rig it usually to make it cook, which is illegal. So you got to pull the thermostat out and to make it boil. So they're giving you rice and all this other stuff that you technically can't even really cook. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an awkward dynamic. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you got that. And then you can receive two packages a month from your family via mail or through a visit. And those packages can total no more than 35 pounds of food. So, you know, an option to get fruits and vegetables and stuff like that through the diet. So, I mean, you know, you, you pretty much make it do what it do. But at that point, like I said, I'm eating fish. So I go to commissary. Normally I would be eating like salmon, mackerel, which is a disgusting fish. Yeah. We would like fry that and fillet it guys, you know, get so creative with it or make cakes out of it. And then I got tuna fish, you got sardines, all this stuff in commissary. And then in the, in the prison mess hall, they also serve fish every Friday. That's like a consistent thing. Yeah. So at that time you were, you were getting, you felt like you were sustaining yourself. You were getting enough at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Actually on the fish and you will see quite a few guys in present that are pescatarians. That's not something that's really hard to maintain in there. Like I've met two people that were vegan in prison since I was in there the whole 18 and a half years, but pescatarians, I probably met, you know, over a hundred. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So when you made the transition to vegan, how did that look? I mean, you can break down if you want to what you ate during the day, okay, but like, yeah. yeah, or you just tell me how did that look when you became a vegan though? I mean, what was, what shifted as far as making sure that you had enough food? Cause it sounds like you as a pescatarian, it didn't sound too bad. I mean, yeah. you make it's it the doable. best out of yeah. right. Make it the best out of a, you so, know, a complicated situation. Yeah. By the time I was actually vegan, I had already, I mean, for years I learned as my diet got more restrictive and mind you in between this, I'm also doing a lot of like different things. Like I'm eating once a day, I'm eating twice a day, which is something I learned from how to eat to live. I started practicing that at times and I'm not, I'm eating less junk food. So it's a lot of different stuff that's going on in between. So in order to, to accommodate my diet and make it a little easier, I learned that I need to start working in a mess hall, which is that cafeteria. So by working in the mess hall at, at each of these different prisons, for one, you can pretty much get more food and generally the civilians that work in there, there's usually like two or three people from the outside that work in there that kind of oversee everything, the cooking and stuff like that. And they have access to like the prime stuff in there. 
So I would talk to them, you know, I always had relationships with them. So they would give me like extra vegetables and stuff. And I would get like stuff that was rarely served on the line. I would get it more regularly. Mm. So I could go to them and say, yo, I need a couple of potatoes, some tomatoes and lettuce. And, and they would look out for me. I had learned that to help me out. So by the time I came to vegan, I, like I said, I was working in these mess halls. I was also at that time period, I was at a prison where I was closer to New York. So I was getting visits a lot more. So I could get food packages coming in. So that was helpful. But it was hard, but it wasn't hard. The part that wasn't hard was that I was able to get a lot of stuff. And even as a person in prison, I didn't have some of the hardships that a lot of other people had at that time. Like I said, I had families, you know, people, friends coming that would bring me stuff and send me stuff. When I went to commissary, I always had money. And that's another thing, working in the, the prison mess hall, that is like one of the higher paying jobs in there. So that, that was also helpful. But the harder things was, I mean, even though, you know, you're eating beans and rice, I feel like you like beans and rice out. Man, you know what I mean? Beans, right. <laughs> I ate beans and rice in every way you could think. You know, you only got about three or four types of beans. You usually got black beans. There's usually vegetarian beans and usually like a kidney bean or a red bean. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, man, you know, I just, it's, it's just like, you don't have many options, right? Yeah. Like you said, yeah, you can the same it time, up, eat the rice, you know, is, it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, and at the same time, you know, this is my, mind you, this is, this is early when I just stopped eating fish. So everybody around me, all my homies, they cooking fish and frying fish. I'm smelling this. I'm like, man, what the hell? I'm in here trying to make it off of rice and beans. You know, some of them is messing with me, joking. Everybody got jokes, you know. A lot of people hadn't even, wasn't even familiar with vegans. They knew about vegetarians. Right. But, yeah, I can see that. So yeah, it, it was it was a, it was a headache, and then you know at times when I when I didn't, I mean although I usually had, you know there was times like I was going through my ups and downs with the administration. I was always challenging stuff, and so there was times like I was locked in my cell twenty three hours a day, and you know I didn't have access to the commissary like that or or the food and mess hall. And, you know it was a lot of peanut butter and jelly to sustain myself. Mm-hmm. Like a survival kit in it, so it wasn't the healthiest, but it it was doable. But years later, as I began, it, be- it became even more easier. You know, I-, I became a published author. I started editing books. So I was generating, like, really good money, you know, in compar- for somebody I was in prison. And, you know, a decent money f- for outside, but, you know, you couldn't live totally off of it outside. But, you know, for somebody that's in prison and getting, you know, $1,000 sent in here, $400 sent in there, you know, I, w- I was doing pretty good. That was That was very helpful. I always kept you know, food stocked up. Yeah, so. Because I know that you were involved in like, I know you mentioned that you were involved in a lot of different, you know, I guess programs and you did like things in mm-hmm. within, I mean, in the prison. So what it was, tell us some about some of the work that you did while you were in prison. I know, of okay. course, that you were editing and things like that, but what yeah. other work did you do? Because I know you were involved in some things. Yeah, so addition to the editing, coming up New York Times bestselling editor and, you know, I had two books published. Um, oh, one wow. was a bestseller. So, in addition to that, I also had articles and stuff published. But in addition to that, I eventually enrolled in college. I received my associate degree. And while I was in college, that's where I pretty much taught myself to do graphic design, which I you know, followed up and continue to do out here through my company, Cousy Arts. In addition to that, I was also in an arts program called Rehabilitation Through the Arts that focused on dance and theater. So I was in a theater group and I was always into writing. So I was, you know, like writing plays and stuff and, and you know, doing voiceover and some of the productions, a lot of programs. I mean, I even taught a few classes dealing with diet and health, 
Yeah, I was, I, that was another thing as I began to learn more about veganism and these different groups. I was like, right, Peter, they would send me stuff. Neil Bernard from the Physicians for Responsible Medicine, something like that, I forget the name of the group. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah he had wrote me, he had actually sent me a, a lawsuit that was taking place in the federal system where granted them vegan meals. Oh, wow. So, um, so yeah, I was doing a ton of stuff. I was always busy. And that's like a misnomer sometimes that people incarcerated is like you sitting around with nothing to do. And there's a ton of guys like that just, just walking around the yards lifting weights. But a lot of, there's a lot of guys in there that are productive doing a lot of things. I was also a tutor for the college program that I was in. So yeah, I was, I was pretty busy. Kept, you kept yourself busy. Is that good? That's really, really good. So when you were talking about the federal lawsuit that they sent mm-hmm. you, what is it called? A physician's committee? I can't remember. Yeah, I know exactly physician's which is committee a- for responsible medicine. Yes, that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So when he sent you that information about the lawsuit, how does that look now? Do you know anything about how veganism is handled? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so definitely on a federal system, they provide them a vegan meal. You, of course, you have to sign up for it. And it's, you know, it's just not like anybody can just walk in there, as far as I know, and just make your choice. You know, they ain't making accommodations like that for you. Like, you know, so you could eat a vegan meal for breakfast, and then in the afternoon, you can eat hamburgers for somebody that's into that. They don't provide it like that, but they do provide some accommodations. And even in the prison system that I was in, which is the New York prison system, as the years went on, they did make certain accommodations that weren't specifically vegan. That, that's a good point. You brought that up because this was some of the things that helped me as well. They had like a religious alternative for Muslims in there. In that alternative, they had products that was like texturized vegetable protein. So they had like a kind of like a soy crumble they would do to make a, a chili sometimes. And that was something that you didn't have to sign up for. You could literally eat that if you wanted, or you can go by and, and get the regular meal. So I did, I would eat those at times, but some of them, like they had one that had like this white sauce in it, it had whey in it. So I couldn't eat that, but they did serve that in some of the meals. And then also there was a kosher diet that had, for some reason, a lot of like salads in it. So a lot of times when I was working in the mess hall, I would get those kosher meals and stuff and get the salads out of them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what, the, what year did you come home? 2012. Okay. Yeah, I thought that's what you said because he said something about parole board at that time. Okay. So the time that you were incarcerated, you didn't really run into anybody that was vegan. Yeah, so, two, I met two people over the years. Two people the whole time. The oh, whole time. The whole yeah. time. One was a friend of mine. All right. He worked in the officers' mess hall. So there's a separate cafeteria where they feed the staff and, and the officers that work there. And then they obviously they're getting good food. So he was the first person that introduced me to hummus because they used to have hummus wraps mm. and he used to bring them back to the cell. He would give, he would give me the hummus. And then I started making my own hummus. I would just smash up beans with a can because, you know, we, we had no mixers and blenders in there. Right. And I would just like make my own hummus. Wow. Yeah. Well, he would bring you the wraps. I know you were probably like, wait a minute. What is yeah. this? And I'm sure I, that I, kept you full for a little longer too. Kind of like the, the precursor to me understanding that you know, like beyond being in here, like I could, I could eat good. Like I liked them raps and raps was good. Yeah. I was like, man, you know, when I, when I get home eventually, it's going to be a good It's look. on, right. Yeah, you were like, it's, it's on when I get home. Yeah. <laughs> it's Monique hopping in real quick to let you know that I put together a vegan starter kit for you. So if you are vegan curious or you're a vegetarian, I put together some steps that you should take in order to make vegan life a reality for you. In the vegan starter kit, I go over meal planning, grocery shopping, eating out, and all of the steps that you need to take to get started right now in a very practical way. 
Head over to brownveganvip.com to download the free vegan starter kit. That's brownveganvip.com. It seemed like you see, you were really good about building like a sense of community. And because I feel like every time you tell me a story about something that was going on, you had like some type of connection to someone else that helped you. Yeah. Like a little, you had like a little network going, which is good. I think that probably helped you in so many ways while you were in. Yeah. And, and fortunately, because I learned when I was in there, I started living by this mantra that I'm in prison, but prison is not in me. Because I learned in hindsight, looking back at my life, that all of the negative stuff, negative things that are going around you, you'll start to embed that stuff in you and you'll think that that's your entire world. So one thing you don't want to do in a situation like prison is start to think that that's the world. Mm -hmm. So I would write people on the outside and and I was making different connections and I had a a fairly good support group that has helped me throughout those years and then make my transition when I came home. Yeah. So when you came home in 2012, I mean, goodness, you said, I mean, the whole thing, everything was so different, I'm sure, of course, yeah. from when you went in. So what was like some of the biggest things that you noticed like right away when you came home? It doesn't even have to, of course, be about food, but just in general, what was so in different? General, yeah. So another thing, so by me living by that mantra that I was saying, I'm in prison, but prison is not in me. I was like always kept my ear to the streets. So I knew of all these different things, the technology. I knew what cell phone I was going to get the first day out. I, I knew all of that. <laughs> But, you know, I knew the MacBook. I had somebody had a MacBook air waiting for me. So I knew all of that. It's different when you, it's way different than you experience. And one of the biggest things is that people, you know, because I would be in contact with people that went home as well. And it was always saying like, yo, man, like the time is just like moving so damn fast. And that was one of the things I was like, damn, like when I got out, it was, it was, it was never enough time in the day to do the things that I wanted. And then there was all these grandiose plans I had about what I'm going to do. I'm going to start this business. I'm going to get it popping. And, and I was like, you know, I started, but I mean, this thing was a very slow process and I'm trying to balance it and do this. And so the speed at which things work and then the fact that in often cases you're on other people's time. Like I have to wait for other people to get back to me to do things. When I was inside, you know, I felt to a degree, although I had these different support and stuff like that, I felt a lot independent because there were so many things I had no choice but to do myself. Whether that meant going to the library and doing research because I didn't have the internet, you know, I just, everything was like the onus was much more on me when I was outside and particularly trying to network and do different things just to meet with somebody, you know, it may take you a week to get on somebody's schedule. Mm -hmm. So that was like, damn, so everything was, it was fast, but things was slowed in in a sense as well. Outside of that, I I don't know if, if I really had like any, big shocks in terms of like, like I'm out here. It was, it was just, it was, it was a weird feeling. It was a great feeling, obviously, but in terms of the the vegan, the food and the diet, that was big, big for me. Cause I had, you know, known certain products that was available outside, but I didn't know so many different things and so many restaurants, you know, cause I'm more, I paroled, I'm from Brooklyn, but I paroled directly to Atlanta. And you know, Atlanta is like, it's like a new vegan restaurant every two weeks. Yeah. That's like the black vegan Mecca. Yeah. like I think the first week out, my mom took me to Soul Vegetarian, and I went in there and I had a veggie burger. And I forget what else I had, but that was like wow. And mm. then you know, so that yeah, so that was that was interesting to me. And then at that point, starting to learn more about because I was inside. I mean, I had known about you know animal rights. I knew about Viva Section, all these other different things, but I didn't have. I not really. I wasn't really hearing the term plant based. 
So I started to learn about that outside. So that was that was a little different and seeing people that were, were plant based, quote unquote. You know. So. So, yeah. Yeah. So I know that, of course, when you were in prison, you did all the cooking, a lot of the cooking in a mess hall. But what did it look like mm-hmm. as far as like, what does your cooking look like now? Do you cook a lot now? Do you order food? Yeah. Like, So, yeah, I do do a lot of cooking now. We do eat out. Yeah. So primary, like some of my go to roasted vegetables. So I'm roasting broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, asparagus. We're doing kale. I just started cooking more with kale. Usually I was doing that salads with kales and doing wraps and stuff. A lot of rice. Cut back a while ago and started doing just brown rice. Doing a lot more quinoa now, cooking that. What else are we doing? A lot of black beans, vegetarian beans. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm trying to get more hopeful. Actually, you know, after listening to your podcast and I started listening to your podcast more, it's, it's making me want to get back on my job because in a way, I feel that I was more disciplined when I was inside some partially by choice because I didn't have slutty vegan. I didn't have the garden. I didn't have all these, these processed things. So I was a lot more quote unquote plant, plant based. And I was a lot more disciplined when I was inside. Mm. But when I came out, you know, I just, I'm eating the, the vegan. I seen it, especially Ben and Jerry's came out ice cream. Cause uh-huh. I used to eat the, the regular chunky monkeys. So I'm attacking those. I'm eating all the vegan ice creams. And I was, I was listening to your podcast with, um, Bobby, was it Bobby Price? Yes, yes. Yeah, which is a brother. I actually met him down here too in Atlanta. And I was listening to that. I was like, damn. And I was listening to a couple of other joints. I said, man, I got to get back on my job. So I started cutting back. That's when I actually, I just eliminated the white rice from my um, diet. And, and, and I was just like, recently, like I said, listen to that. And I'm starting to try to cut back, eliminate some of the stuff that's more processed, mm-hmm. which actually becomes detailed when you analyze, because like everything is processed. Right. So what does that actually mean? So I'm just trying to really get rid of the stuff that's got a thousand chemicals on it, man. So yeah, so I've, I've been making more time to cook because that's the biggest thing. Because I'm, I'm a pretty good cook, but it's like time consuming, you know. Mm-hmm. It can be for sure, especially when you want to mix things up and you don't want to eat the beans and rice that you yeah. eat all the yeah, time. You exactly don't want to eat. Yeah. yeah, when you want to get in there. Exactly, it does, it does. I know we, t- we, we kind of touched on how veganism helped with your discipline while you were incarcerated, but... How is it helping you now with your yeah. life? How is veganism helping you, I guess, with your activism and just just yeah. your discipline and whatever else you want, wherever direction you want to go in? Like, how is that helping okay. you? When I look at discipline, I say there's an internal discipline and there's an external discipline. So the external discipline are the things I would say that you buy into or you subscribe to that will restrict you. So like, for instance, if I'm saying I'm a vegan, you know, I'm not eating you know, animals, you know, I'm, so that's the internal thing. But I may take it a step further and restrict the amount of times I'm eating a, dis- eating a day. So that's something that requires some internal discipline. So external discipline is good. It's going to help build the internal discipline. Ultimately, that's what you want to get. Oh, for me, definitely, that's, that's my goal. To, I say, like, I'm, a, I'm like an internal control freak. I want to be the person that's controlling everything I do. Because I know there's so many environmental influences that are affecting us daily, both consciously and subconsciously, from people directly saying things to just the subliminal things we get from advertising, messaging and all that stuff. So I'm always trying to like reclaim my life and take back my life. So for me, that requires a level of discipline to say I'm not going to do certain things. I know what's going on and I'm not going to let it affect me. So how I do that, for instance, balancing time, that's a big thing for me. 
you know, the work-life balance and, and the love life and all that stuff. It's a totally different thing from eating or being vegan or whatever. But in, in all actuality, it's not because it's a requirement or it's based upon your need to look at a situation and pretty much make it happen. When I say I'm not going to eat something, I gotta look, I'm looking at it saying, man, I'm not going to eat it. And that's that. I'm going to do it. So it's the same thing as if I say I'm going to allocate an hour a day to go online and promote my brand. I got to just do it. It sounds it's easier said than done. Yes. So what I do is to just try to constantly focus on, I got to get like, I got to have to like reaffirm myself. I give myself praise for becoming a vegan. I got to, I got to reflect back on how I was able to do that. And I got to say, if I can do that, then I can do this, you know? So it, like I said, it's, it's hard to describe, but it, it's about, it's a lot of reflection for me. And like I said, when I was listening to your podcast and I'm like, man, I was, it was, I was at a time I was eating once a day. What the hell am I now? I can't even take myself away from eating, you know, all these daggone processed stuff. I mean, there's, there's nothing to me. And I made that choice, you know, so I said, I'm, I'm going to stop doing that. But when you say the once a day thing, because when I think about that, I always think of like religion. Is that yeah. some of the motivation so behind it? Because I could imagine just eating once a day for no reason. I know it's a part of discipline, but I yeah. feel like there's some religion here too. Is that what it yeah, is? So that, that came, I learned that first from Elijah Muhammad. I'm, I'm not a part of Nation Islam, but he was always saying that it was good for your body. And it's crazy because this man was t- preaching this back in, I think that the book, How to Eat to Live was put out in like the mm-hmm. 60s something. Yeah. And he was preaching that once a day, twice a day. And now, years later, they start coming up with all these studies from all the way from in China to America about the intermittent fasting and all these other things, which is pretty much saying the same thing. Because you got to keep in mind, we're eating three times a day, eating in between. Your body is a system. There's all these different organs working in unison. And you never give it a break outside of going to bed at night. And that's the perp, one of the, the great things about doing fasting and, and you know, or just whether it's even a juice fast, it's just, it's less strain on your body. So for me, that's what, that's what it was about when I was eating the once a day. It was, it was, it was a discipline thing, but it was also, I got to give my body a break, man. I'm, I'm killing my body. And I, used to, I, was, I felt that my greatest, I was like working, working out crazy. I wouldn't even eat a breakfast. I would come out and work out. And guys that I was working out, I was like, yo, how you working out? You eating? You ain't going back to eating? Nah, I would eat later in the evening. So I, right now, I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm trying to be less regimented with it, but just doing what my body recalls. So now I eat when I really feel I need to eat and not just because, you know, of, of a desire. So most times I don't eat a breakfast now. And most times I'm eating about once a day, but in between I may eat fruit throughout the day. But it's, it's not, I'm saying I'm going to do this. I'm just really just trying to follow my body and not, you know, force myself to eat because I know there's a breakfast, lunch, and a dinner. So mm-hmm. like there's instances when I'm going out I go out with somebody to a restaurant and stuff. And if it's something that I can't eat, then I just don't eat. It's like, I don't have to eat. I mean, unless I'm super hungry, then I'm going to try to make something happen. I'm calling the chef and try to make a salad. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, don't, I don't want a salad. I don't, I don't have to eat just because it's a social thing or just because the food is in front of me. So it's kind of like reevaluating food and what food is for. Because food becomes a problem if you don't really look at it as just another mechanism to fuel your body. It's when you look at it and, and think about all of the, how good it tastes, which I mean, it's hard not to, but you can't let that be the primary thing. Mm-hmm. That's not, if, that, if that makes any sense. I, mean, I mean, it's easier said than done, but 
the thing for me is that the constantly like reaffirm these different things. So that's why now listening to your podcast, listening to other stuff, I'm starting to read a little bit more, which is hard as hell, slipping between what I'm doing. It's like you got to reinvest your body and your mind, all of these different things to fight all of the other stuff that you don't want to want and influencing you. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. So, because I know that you you always stay busy, that you have a lot going yeah. on. So, what inspired you to start your clothing line, and like, how does that work into the vegan activism that you do? Okay, so some years ago, two and a half years ago, they have a, a Bronx Day down here. It's a big event in Atlanta at Grant Park, and it's called Bronx Day. It was started by a guy from the Bronx, a DJ, and like. 10 million New Yorkers end up converging in this park. <laughs> of course, I'm exaggerating, but it's, it's a, a ton of people from New York. So it's really like a New York day. It's not even really a Bronx day. So you go there, you know, I'm seeing people that was locked up with me, people that I knew from New York that don't even live down here. So I was like, yo, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to make a shirt to represent East New York, which is where I'm from, the part of Brooklyn that I'm from. So I put together this shirt, B-K-E-N-Y, and I wore it out there. And actually, a guy that I know from East New York who lives down here, he saw it. He was like, yo, I got to get one of those, man. And a couple of other people kept asking me about the shirt. So when I came back home, I told Shannon, I was like, yo, people keep asking about these damn shirts. So we need to, to try to start producing these joints and, you know, come up with a line. So that was the impetus for the line. So as we evolved, we came up with a few collections we wanted to do. One was a home team collection, and that's what the East New York would fall into. And, we got other shirts in there. And then one was a self-love collection. So we got like stuff like natural hair, the one blood shirt, stuff that's, you know, predicated upon empowerment of black folks. Really. And then we had a health and wellness collection. And the first thing we came up with out of that was Shanna came up with, which is the hip hop vegan. So she just came up with the term. She was like, yo, cause you know, you've been vegan for 20 years. I mean, at that point I was vegan like 18 years or whatever. She was like, yo, you're a hip hop fanatic, you know, because like my backstory, like before I went to prison, you know, I, I was rhyming. And that was one of the things myself and some of my friends were trying to do to exit out of that street life. Mm-hmm. So I used to rap. Then when I was in prison, I was rhyming, I'm battling guys. I had a keyboard. I used to make beats. So I, and I'm just a hip hop fanatic, man. I, I mean, I like been listening to hip hop since I was probably like 10. So she was like, yo, hip hop vegan. She was like. And then, uh, so, you know, I'm a graphic designer, so I came down, and I came up with the design for the Hip Hop Vegan. So because our, our brand is, our motto is a power that speaks, and we want to empower subcultures, we felt that veganism and hip hop were two things that are, are, ver- are growingly, growing, continuously growing at a rapid rate, but they're not totally mainstream, or no, no matter how, especially hip hop, we look at hip hop and see it's like the dominant music but there's still a lot of places where you know it just ain't gonna work you know you're not you're gonna elevate you hear elevator music you don't hear jay-z so we was like and then there's a lot of people in the hip-hop game from you know jermaine dupree to styles p from the locks you know these brothers that are that are into veganism so we felt that it was something that that resonates or would resonate and then it was it was a way for us also to use fashion as a vehicle for activism because everybody's not going to be the type of person that's going to be vocal and go out and speak. They're not going to be on social media talking or running around doing engagements, but you can just throw on a shirt that makes a statement. And I'm going to give you an example, especially the hip hop vegan shirt. That's, 
that and our health is wealth. The health and wellness collection is our, our strongest sellers. But one time we had went out to Florida for the Orlando Veg Fest. So this, we wasn't going out there to vend. We were just going out there to attend it and network. And so we were staying in Cocoa Beach because we wanted to be on the beach. We didn't find out Orlando actually don't have no beaches. We're like, damn. So this is the, the closest place. So I'm out early in the morning. I'm leaving the hotel. I don't know why I was out. I was just like just walking or whatever. So I, this brother is walking past me and I got on a hip hop vegan shirt and a hat. And he stopped me. He was like, yo, man, where the vegan restaurants at? Are you vegan? I was like, yo, I was like, yo, and it's like a block away. There's a restaurant. It's, they got vegan options. So I told him about that. And he introduced himself and come to find he's from New Jersey, but he lives in Atlanta. It's crazy. <laughs> and I see this brother to this day. He's one, he, he's probably bought more hip hop vegan stuff than us, than anybody in Atlanta. He, shirts, hoodies, and all that. You know, he's always around wearing a shirt, taking pictures, you know, and adding us in it. Good brother, man. Yeah. So that's just a, a way that you can make a statement and be vocal about things without even saying a word. And I get questions all the time about the shirt. And, you know, people still have to ask me questions. But there's so many people that, with the growing popularity of veganism, hear the word vegan but don't know what it is. And so, you know, then we go through that. So, but yeah, so it's, it's a way to promote without speaking, so, so to speak. Yeah, because you definitely helped him. So I see that. Yeah. I see how that works. Yeah. So before we wrap up, tell us some tips or, you know, share anything you want to share with us about going vegan, like how to help other people do it. Like that you want to talk about, just mm-hmm. let us know right now. Tips for going vegan. I would say whatever your reasoning is for going vegan, to be firmly rooted in that and understand what that means to you and make that a dominant thing for you. Because you got to have something to draw on when you get urges when people are looking at you like you're crazy because like veganism is popular, but still, you know, mess with you and give you all these funny snide remarks. So you, you have to understand that why you're doing something and keep that as the focal point. I would also say get accustomed to cooking <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, if you, if you can't cook, it, it might be problematic, you know, but there, I mean, there's a lot of options in terms of a lot of the stuff that's, that's prepared for you to help you you know, get through You'll it. learn too, though. You'll learn. So, yeah. you, yeah, you Like you, a lot of people who didn't cook before cook now. Yeah. You have no choice. And, and you, one thing I'll say with me is, and I think, I think it will be the case for most people is your taste for things are going to change. Cause I was a person who didn't like vegetables. I didn't even really like onions. I didn't like cabbage. I would eat broccoli, some greens and some beans, but it was a ton of vegetables that I don't eat that I love now. So your palate is going to change as you progress. And then I would say another tip when you're eating out, just get in the habit of maybe asking if it's not a vegan restaurant, asking to get a message from the chef, what options on here are vegan. And sometimes there'll be stuff that's not listed as vegan, but it'll be vegan or they'll list it as vegetarian. And it may, it may say I'm being vegetarian, but it'll be vegan. Mm. For me, I'm actually trying to just stick more so to restaurants that are vegan now. Cause I've been having some instances where people, telling me stuff is vegan and it's not so I, but if yeah if you eat now just you know get get comfortable with you know posing those questions sometimes you you don't want to seem like the prove you're in a, a you know you're dining out with seven people everybody else is you know consuming you know a regular diet so you know just just get comfortable with questioning things not trying to you know seem condescending i hate that you know so many people you know become like i heard the term on your podcast like the vegan police I can't stand that, man. You know, people <laughs> need to just focus on themselves, man. 
becoming vegan is something before you begin to espouse it and begin to take an activist standpoint, if that's what you want to do, it starts off with you. And, and, and that's one of the biggest problems, I think, in the world in general. People just always trying to regulate what other people do. So, man, just, just keep that focus on you. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it. Tell us how we can follow you on social media. Like, what do you want us to do? How we can support your brand? Tell us all of the details. So you can follow me on social media. My, my Instagram is the hip hop vegan on, Insta, on Instagram and on Facebook. It's intelligent. A lot those are the two primary things on. I'm on Twitter as well, but I'm not as much as active. That's just platform that's hard as hell for me to get used to. But so I'm mostly active on, on Instagram at the hip hop vegan. My clothing brand on Instagram is us wear online. That's U S W E A R online. That's also our website uswearonline.com. And then we also have our Instagram for Vegan Biz, which our YouTube channel, we started, me and Shanna, just something that's committed to entrepreneurship, health, and entertainment. A lot of restaurant reviews and stuff like that we're working on. Kind of a, a lifestyle channel as well, but that's Vegan Biz on Instagram and on YouTube. If you're interested in getting some graphic design work, you can check out my Instagram, Koozie Arts, or my website, kooziearts.com. Yes. I'll make sure that I link everything under the blog post for this episode at brownvegan.com. Okay. So thank you so, so much for coming on the show to share your story. I know you're going to help a lot of people. That's, that's the goal. You know, each one teach one. We, you know, we all build each other. I'm learning daily and still trying to make changes. You know, when I think I got it all figured out, you know, like I said, your, your, your platform has been a big help. I've been listening like crazy. Oh, know? that's good. Yeah, I, that. I listen to music. I, Pop on the podcast. Yep, me too. I like I love listening to podcasts too and music. So yeah. Thank you again. I really appreciate your time. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. All of the show notes will be at brownvegan.com. So check those out. Also, let me know what you thought of this episode. Come hang out with me on Instagram. My handle over there is at brownvegan. Have a great day and I will talk to you next week. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.